What a privilege it is to be with you. And as, uh, as we gather now around looking into God's holy word, it's good to be with you. My name is Pete Allenson. Many of you know me, uh, but this is kind of my home away from home. And it's good to be back at Core Faith Church. Uh, and uh, I want you to know what a privilege it is to worship with you and to open up to you God's word today. Uh, this is a great time in Advent, isn't it? Uh, and uh, we have uh, those of you who've come. This is the second service here today. And I think I could have this worship service. Can we do this again, like later, uh, all of us? Okay, we can sing it again. We can do it again, because this was just such wonderful worship, and I appreciate the time with you. Hey, listen, before we look into God's Word, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer together today. Our great God, thank you for the joy of being your people and of coming into this place to worship. Thank you for Core Faith Church. Uh, thank you for Pastor Aldo. Thank you for Bishop Quinones. Thank you for the ministers and the servants in this church. And I thank you for the joy of being a part of worship today and pray that you would be honored. Lord, you know our needs. You know every man and woman here. You know, you know what we need and how we need to hear what we need. And so we commit our lives to you now, and we ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. So we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. We've come to see Jesus and Jesus alone, for we pray in his holy name. Amen. Well, I love the reality that we have lit the third Advent candle. And, uh, and so the, the gift that we're talking about is the gift of love. Speaking of gifts, Christmas is a time for gifts, right? I mean, hey, the reality is, guys, have you bought all your Christmas gifts yet for Christmas? The answer is no. It's not December 24th yet, so you haven't gotten your gift. But on December 24th, you'll probably go out and, and hunt down your gifts. But, uh, but we got to get it. We think of this time as, as, as a gift time, of course, we give gifts because of the gift that God gave us in his person, Jesus Christ, and the gift of love that we experience at Christmas. Now, let me ask you this. Honestly, this is this time to be honest, okay? How many of you ever received, ever, not this year, but ever received a gift that you weren't that excited about, and so you re-gifted it? Anybody ever done the regifting? Good. Thank you for your honesty. I see that hand. I'm not the only one here. Here, we've we've received gifts, and at times we regift those gifts. Christmas is a time, isn't it, where we get the gift that we want and we want to keep and never give away. Because if we give it away, then we lose it, right? But Christmas is a time when we get a gift that we want that we don't want to give away, but when we do give it away, we don't lose the gift itself. It's the gift of God's love for us in Christ. And so really, Christmas is a wonderful time to talk about love because it's the gift we all want, and it's the gift we want to give to other people. And when you give it away, God uses you in a special way. So we're going to be talking about love today. Love is, is, is the greatest motivator of all, isn't it? Love is the greatest gift of all. You, you can motivate me uh, in, in many different ways, and perhaps we motivate each other in many different ways, like to our kids, you know, get it done or else. That's motivation, right? And sometimes we say, hey, you guys, get it done because I love you. And sometimes that doesn't get it done either. However, the absolutely all-time motivating gift is the gift of love. 
where we know that we are loved not because of what we have done, but because of who we are. Uh, And that's the gift that we're talking about at Christmas. And so we're going to be talking about the motivating gift of love, considering Jesus' love for us. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John 15, 9 through 17, and and I'm going to read this text to you from the New King, King James Version of the Bible. Aren't you glad? Because that's the translation you used here. You, you, and it's not the translation I read in the first service. And everybody was a little confused. So we're in sync right now, and, and here we go. John 15, verse 9 through 17, where our Lord Jesus Christ says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he said this, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is God's holy word, the very words of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at these words together today. We're going to unpack these words. This really, as we think about the subject of love, everybody wants to be loved, right? Uh, We get married because we want to be loved. We uh, are motivated by love in the deepest relationships of our life. Love is a word that is used over 500 times in the Bible, 500 times. That's a big, that's a big focus uh, of the word uh, love in the Bible. It's one of those major words in the Bible, major concepts of the Bible, but it's also one of the great attributes of God. Is God holy? And everybody says, God's holy. Is God sovereign in all of his power? He's sovereign. But is he loving too? Yes. And so some Christians look at God and they say, well, God is loving and that's all there is to God. No, God is loving and he's loving when he's all powerful. He's loving when he disciplines us. He's loving when he teaches us. He's loving in everything is due. All of the attributes of God work together at the same time. And so you can't reduce God to just love as if God is just a squishy emotion. Right? No, God is a great is our great triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with many many attributes, uh, and, and love is one of the major motivating attributes in our life. Now, here's my question for you: as we talk about love at Christmas time, how do you individually, every person individually, how do you respond? What do you think? What do you feel when I say? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Every one of us has a different response to that expression, that statement, that truth, God loves you. Uh, And the reality is, is we have different responses to that because we have different experiences of love, don't we? 
in our families, in your families? Was love talked about a great deal? Was love demonstrated in your families? Maybe it was, maybe it was not. Uh, But you experienced that phrase, God loves you, as to what you experienced in your family growing up. It also is what you experience uh, in life. You bring your life experience. Have you always been loved by people? Have you always been loved well by people? No. And so when I say God loves you, you bring some of those negative experiences to you as you feel about it. Uh, And the reality is you understand that expression, God loves you, with how the Spirit of God helps you understand that phrase. That's crucial. But a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, still struggle with this idea, God loves you. They struggle with the reality of God's love in their life. It's kind of like, it's Greek to me. You heard that expression, right? It's Greek to me. When I was in seminary taking Greek, and uh, we talked to each other after the class, one of the guys said, well, what did you think about class today? I said, it's Greek to me. <laughs> and it really, it really was Greek to us. It took us a long time to understand it. But what does a Greek say when he doesn't understand something? Ah, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, as I have the answer to that, a Greek would say, stop talking Chinese. Yeah, really. Now, what do the Chinese say if they don't understand something? They, they say something like this. Your words are like Buddha's attendant, 12 feet tall, whose head I cannot reach. Okay, that's a little bit more than I want to dish out. But the, what about people from Poland? What do they say when they don't understand something? They say, I'm hearing a sermon in Turkish. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? That's what they say. That's what they say. Uh, what, <laughs> um, what about Frenchmen who are especially irritated by incomprehensibility? They say, pray, stop talking in Hebrew. Now, what, is it, what does a Jew do? Well, a Jew will say, stop knocking a teapot. Does that speak to you? No, it's Greek to me. I mean, I don't understand that. Uh, you know, don't knock the teapot. I guess it's kind of like if you're hitting a teapot, you're making a noise that is gross to the ear, I guess, you're whatever. But it's an incomprehensible, we all have ways of expressing incomprehensibility. I don't know what you're saying. It's Greek to me. And a lot of Christians struggle with this idea, God loves you. They really don't get it. They don't understand it at a deep, deep, deep level. And, and, and some of the other reasons why we don't get it are, are, are because we are so, uh, we are so, let me give you some reasons real quick. One of the reasons is because we are so active and demanding as people that when God doesn't act and respond to us immediately, we say, he must not love me. You're going through a difficult time, you know, and, and, and you pray. And you say, Lord, I need this. I want this. I need it. I need it now. And he doesn't respond. You know, someone said once that if you uh, uh, tell God what to do, just um, listen for the laughing, uh, laughter in the background. You know, God is not, he's, he's the king. We're not the king. Uh, and so uh, we don't tell him what to do. But there's a, we're so demanding and our culture is so immediately uh, responsive, isn't it? I mean, I I like the idea of on-demand TV, on my demand. 
And, and when I go to, a, to do a movie, and maybe you're like this, and I want the trailer to come up to see if I want to watch that movie, and the trailer doesn't come up immediately, and it says, trailer not available, I'm going, what? Come on, this is on demand, man. <laughs> and so the reality is, is that we as, a, as Americans struggle with this idea of the love of God for us, partly because we are so into instant gratification, and we don't get it. The other thing is that we don't experience it, some of us, in our earthly families. We've never experienced unconditional commitment in families. Some of you have. That's a real gift, by the way. Some of you didn't experience it, but because of the gospel, you are able to give it to your family. You've broken the cycle. The gospel helps you break the cycle. You weren't loved unconditionally, but you're learning to love unconditionally and pass that into your family. Uh, but, but if we didn't experience unconditional love in our earthly family, it's difficult to pass it on. I, um, one of the men in our ministry of Forge, and by the way, your bishop is on our board. It's a city a ministry to men. We have three sites, and he's on our board, and he's crucial. But one of the men in uh, our, our uh, Longwood site um, came up to me the other day and was said, I, I'm starting to read your book, and my book is Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. And uh, he said, I got through the first chapter, and I can't finish it. Because I thought I had a really good earthly dad, but now I see he's so confused and he's so it was so performance oriented. It was all about what he did and, 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 and what his dad said to him when he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And so we bring our earthly family experience into relating to God. And sometimes we have, have a difficult time hearing God loves us. No, what we hear is, God expects you to perform. Make it happen. Meet the standard. If you don't meet the standard, you're in trouble. You see, but the fact of the matter is at Christmas, what are we celebrating? The fact that Jesus came to meet the standard for us. He fulfilled the law perfectly for us, and then he took our curse for us on the cross. Right? And so, but still we struggle to hear God loves us. The other reason why we struggle to hear God loves you is that we every day have difficult experiences, don't we? With people. I mean, if it weren't for people, life would be so good. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand, somebody said. Uh, and so the reality is for us as we live, we have so many difficult experiences with people. Uh, it's like the little boy that came in from playing out in the neighborhood and he came into the house and he said, Mom, does love thy neighbor mean both sides of the house? Uh, both, you know, so, you know, we, we run into neighbors and people. We struggle with all these people. We think, God, can he really love us? Do I really love? We have so many difficulties with people. It's hard to understand that he really loves us. And there's one other reason why I think it's hard. I think we become cynical of love. People are so difficult, life, and we wall ourselves out. We, when I say God loves you, it may well be that because of life circumstances, because of our experiences with people, we've walled ourselves off and we won't let that love in our hearts. We won't let him love us. Uh, we won't uh, allow, we want to do everything ourselves. It's like the lady, this is a true story. Uh, I'm from Southern California, and she, she was driving on one of those clover leaves in the freeway system and fell asleep about 12, 15 one night. 
went off an off-ramp and was hanging by the left rear tire. She's hanging there. Some passers-by finally figured out that she needed help. And, she w- and so they called the police, the fire, every rescue. Everybody came, and it took two and a half hours to get her out of there. But they got her out alive. And one of the officers who re- responded to the scene said, you know, the amazing thing is that the whole time she was saying to herself, I'll do it by myself. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll save myself. She couldn't. We can't. And so Christmas is really about the love of God who said you want to save yourself, but you can't, you couldn't, and why we need the love of God. And so what I want to teach you from the text we read in John 15 uh, are just three simple things uh, about the love of God for us before we take the Lord's Supper. We'll make the Lord's Supper so powerful to us today uh, before we take it. I want you to understand, this is really, by the way, from John 15, this is the CDC of God's love. We're all familiar with the CDC now, aren't we? Yeah, some of you, you know, we're all familiar with the Center for Disease Controls. Here, here, here is the CDC of God's love for us. I want to talk about God's loving certainty, demonstration, and continuance. CDC, ready? Love certainty. John 15, 9, verse A. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Certainty. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I have loved you. From eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lived in community, didn't they? And they loved each other. So if if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived in divine community for eternity, in a loving relationship, did they create you because they were lonely? No, they created us because they wanted a relationship with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father says to the Son, I've loved you from eternity past. I've loved you from eternity past. And and, and Jesus says, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Will Jesus lie? Could he lie? It's impossible for Jesus to lie. For Jesus to lie would mean that he would deny his, his, his attributes, his character. So when he says, as the Father loved me, from eternity past, I've loved you. I have loved you. Abide in my love. That, brothers and sisters, is certainty. That's the real deal. That's truth, isn't it? It's fact. He loves you. And you say, yeah, but you don't know what I did yesterday. You know, I did this morning driving to church. You don't know the fight we had in the car on the way over here. I know that happens because I've been a pastor since the time of the Apostle Paul. (laughs) It happens. I've had many, many people tell me, we had a fight on the way to church today. Hey, how you doing? It was good until the fight started on the way to church. All I know this is this, that God loves us not based on what we do or don't do. He he loves us based on what Jesus did. A couple other scriptures, Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Joel 2.13, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and relents from sending calamity. 
Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The love of God is certain, is certain. And even though you do not feel it all the time, it will never change toward you because Jesus' work cannot be undone. And if you are united to Jesus, then the love of God cannot be undone, even by your sin. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is there. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to already born-again Christians. Right, And so, so for us, the love of God is a certain thing in the past and a certainty in the present and a certainty in the future. I love, uh, did you all have a good Thanksgiving? Did you get together with a bunch of people? Did you exceed the guidelines? Our family did. I'm pretty sure we did. Uh, but the reality is we had a great time. I, there's, I love the card that somebody sent about Thanksgiving. You know, the old Thanksgiving picture with the the pilgrim man in his big hat and the big buckles and the pilgrim mother and the pilgrim kids. And uh, the grandma was reading this card to her kids and, and they were going to church, this pilgrim family on this card, right? So the grandma says, the pilgrim children like to go to church with their mothers and their fathers, see? So you ought to like to go to church too. And the little boy said, yeah, well, why is the dad carrying a rifle? <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Some of us know the love of God, but we think God's got a rifle pointed at us. And if we step out of line, he's going to pull the trigger. That he's got, he's got you scoped in, just waiting for you. I can't wait to punish you. That's not God because he punished his son. He has no wrath or anger for you or for me anymore. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I want you to know as you come to Christmas and as you think of the lighting of that candle and as you think of Christmas Day and as we move into the Advent season, the certainty of God's love for you. But secondly, I want you to know love's demonstration, love's certainty, but love's demonstration where he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Past tense. I have loved you. And it's important for us to understand that as we think of this knowledge in church, you go to church and you expect to hear God loves you, right? But has he ever proven it? Oh, he has. He has. And we have to bring our history up uh, because as we come here, we remember that God has loved us and he's demonstrated us by sending Jesus. It's not Christmas. is not about a baby. It's about a baby who grew up to become a savior. Right, that, and so we always have to talk about that because at Christmas it's all about little babies and the crash, and that's and I like that. Don't get me wrong, I like all that stuff, but it's just a reminder of the incarnation, the enfleshing. What does incarnation mean? It means enfleshing. It means the eternal Son of God took on human flesh, became one of us. Walked with us. Pastor Aldo said, did such a good job explaining that at the beginning of our time today. Uh, and the reality is, is that he has come and he has, has taken our sin. The, the Gonzalez family read it, for God so loved the world. 
but not just the world in a nebulous sense, John 3, 16. You in particular, right? For God so loved the world and you. And he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's, and he didn't come this first time to judge the world, did he? He came to be the savior of the world. Now, when he comes again, read Revelation, he's coming on a white horse. He'll judge then, but he didn't come to judge the first time. He came to save and redeem us. And so he's demonstrated his love simply by coming as a baby, but he's also demonstrated his love by showing us the way to live. That's so powerful, isn't it? A lot of our kids, we only have a couple in this service. We had more younger people in our first service. And, uh, you know, your parents, when they say to you, do this, they're doing it so they can mess up your life, right? (laughs) Parents are always telling you what to do because they want to crush you. They want to make your life miserable. No. Why do parents tell their kids to do it this way? Because when they were younger, they did it that way. And it was a bad way to go, and they don't want you to make the same mistakes. Parents, if they're good parents and loving parents, they are saying to you, do it this way because it's the right way. It's the right way to success. Jesus says, my way is narrow. But the way, the way to destruction is broad, man. There's a lot of ways you can kill yourself and end up in hell. There's only a few ways that you can end up in heaven, and that's by trusting Jesus. And then there's only one way really to have a successful life, isn't it? And that's by following his way. I am the way, Jesus said. The truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, but he also is the way to live. And I grew up in a home where I wasn't taught how to live, how to be a man. Forge, our ministry of Forge is about helping men who have never understood, never had the training. How do I become a real man, a biblical man, a godly man? How do I do that? How does the gospel affect my manhood so that I can be a better husband, a better father? I wasn't taught that. I had to learn it from Jesus and other guys in our church. And I want to help the church by helping men. But you know, you know, uh, the reality is Jesus shows us all how to live. Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, the word, there's all kinds of commands in Scripture, and they're not for, if you do this, you'll get to heaven. No, trust me, as Savior and Lord, and follow my way, and I will lead you in the right way for your life. That's why we follow the command. Has Jesus demonstrated his love for us? Yeah, just spending time with us. Isn't that amazing? He's available 24-7, 365. My dad wasn't able to invest time in my life. He just couldn't do it emotionally. Couldn't develop me. Wasn't available to me growing up. But once I became a Christian, you know what? God says, I'm here. God, the divine one who loved me, who sent Christ for me, who wants to develop me, is available to me all the time. That changed my life. I've never gotten over it, that God is available. To, you could, because you see, how do we spell love? Really, T-I-M-E. That's really how we do it. If you love somebody, you give them time. And, uh, and that's what God does for us. Uh, and so Christmas, as we see this, we are focusing together as we think about that third candle and love. Uh, we realize uh, love's certainty and love's demonstration. He loves you. 
and he's proven it. He loves you. God loves you. How do you hear that? God loves you, and he's proven it. Thirdly, lastly, uh, and I'll be out of here in just a couple of minutes. This service is not going on until Jesus comes back, I want you to know. (laughs) But my last point is love's continuance. Love's continuance. Uh, I want you to understand it's certain, it's demonstrated, but it continues. His love for you continues right now, continues after you leave this service, after you head out of here next week, the week after, forever, until he sees you face-to-face in heaven. And even then, it continues. Do you realize, you know what the Apostle Paul said? This struck me the other day. The Apostle Paul says at the end of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, now abide, help me out with this, now abide, what are the three things? Faith. Hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let me ask you this. When you get to heaven, will you need faith anymore? No, because your faith will be face to face. You'll see him. You'll be experiencing uh, faith, hope. Will you need hope anymore? No, it'll all be fulfilled. Will you need love? Absolutely. And that's eternal. That's eternal. And it will never go away. And it continues. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. And that's how we show our love back, right? To to him by obeying him. Not to get saved, but because we are saved. Uh, not, not, Not to get grace, but because we have been graced. Uh, And so we obey his commandments because we love him because he first loved us. That's why. If you love someone, you'll want to go along with them. Uh, And we love Jesus because he first loved us and and paved the way. One of the biggest challenges for us at Christmas is to, and every day, is to remain being loved by the God of the universe experiencing, not that God changes, but that we don't feel it. We don't remain in that, in that sense that I am his deeply beloved. Uh, I was talking to a friend the other day and he said, um, he said, yeah, I'm talking to it because we're talking about faith right now at Forge at our ministry. And he said, yeah, I was talking to a friend and he said, I'm losing my faith. And I said, let me guess. He's going through a bunch of trials. He goes, yeah, he's going through a bunch of trials right now. See, when you go through trial after trial after trial after trial, it shatters your faith, doesn't it? It can. doesn't have to, but it can. And I said, I bet he's not reading his Bible. And I bet he's not going to church. He goes, yeah, right, right. I said, and he's not at Forge. If he were really spiritual, he'd be there. But, you know, but, but, but so he's not doing anything to remain in the love of God. Now, it's not that it's not continuing for him. It's not that he couldn't get it uh, and remain in it, but life affects our emotions so much. C.S. Lewis talked about the undulations of emotions. What does that mean? What am I doing? Emotions go up and emotions go down. And emotions go up. Some of you woke up this morning and you said, I don't want to go to church. I don't feel like going to church, right? Yeah, and, uh, but, uh, you know, my, my friend Becky sitting back there is about ready to have a baby. Uh, it was supposed to be due today, maybe tomorrow, maybe right after this service. God bless you. 
Uh, God bless you. But the reality is, is, is that uh, there are times when you don't feel that God loves you, right? Does he cease loving you? No. Can God change? No. He says, I love you. I love you. And so, and so guys, as we think about this whole reality, we have to understand that our emotions are a poor foundation for our faith. But our trust in the facts of Jesus coming in his death, burial, and resurrection, our faith is in those facts. And then our feelings are the caboose that follows after that. And so what I want to leave you with today uh, is a challenge to do three things. Because, why three things? Because preachers only think in terms of three, all right? It's a Trinitarian thinking. I want, you to, I want you to know something, I want you to claim something, and I want you to do something real quick. I want you to know as we go through this Christmas time that, the, that God loves you. I want you to know it based on the fact that Jesus has come. And that Jesus didn't only just come, he died on the cross in your place and rose again on your behalf. And that when he was on the cross, he didn't die for a nameless mass of humanity. He died for you by name and by face. You were in his heart. That's love. That's love. Know the love of God for you. When you mess up, run back to him. When you sin, run back to him. When you don't feel that you're loved, I want you to know it. So that's the second thing is I want you to claim this in faith. I want you to know that he loves you, and then I want you to claim it in faith. And I want you to, I want you to walk with me through these next few weeks, claiming, claiming that God loves you even when you feel unlovable or unloved. I want you to claim it, especially when you don't feel it. I don't feel he loves me. He hasn't shown up. What have you done for me lately, God? I want you to claim it. But based on the word of God and the empty tomb, he loves me. Claim it, claim it, claim it in faith. And then do. Do something for somebody that you may not like. Do something loving for something somebody you might not like. Write them a note. Give them a text. You know, we haven't talked in a long time, but... Uh, uh, and, and we've, we haven't, we've had some difficulty in our relationship, but I want you to know I care about you and I'm praying for you. Do something for somebody that can't repay you. Do something for somebody that they don't deserve it. That's the kind of love that God has for us. And I'm going to do this. I'm not just telling you to do this. I'm convicted to do this uh, and to love those who... Um, uh, you know, so so I I want you to know it. I want you to claim it. I want you to do love. I want you to know love. I want you to claim it in faith, and I want you to do love. Why? Because when you do something unconditionally for somebody else, it'll help fuel the reality that God has done something unconditional for you. Uh, I love the uh, classified ad that was once uh, uh, presented someplace in some newspaper a long time ago. It says this: Phoenix woman, fifty-five, but looks fifty-four and a half on a really good day. Seeks a male who is one, born again, breathing, nice, and desires to live life, not just watch it on TV. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. That's pretty gospel-oriented, isn't it? 
that we know it, that we claim it, that we don't just watch it on TV. God loves you. And he's proven it. And he'll never change. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that it's not just an idea. Thank you that it's a a very strong reality. And that, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would drive it into our hearts, even as this Christmas time. Um, We thank you for coming and proving and demonstrating your great love for us. May you give us the ability to share your love with others. And we give you praise as we pray in your holy name. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were blessed, encouraged, and challenged to walk out your faith this week. If you would like to give to support our ministry, you can in the following ways. Thank you for the ways you support us. God bless, and we hope to see you next Sunday.